John reminded me that a year ago, we were working together on worship like this for Mother's Day. But a year ago on Mother's Day is when the tornado sirens went off. So no matter how bad the weather may get today, it's not going to be that bad, so you should give thanks. That goes on my list, John. That goes on my list of, of the top five of, of hard things. I, I, I've, I've, you can't compete with a tornado siren when you're preaching. Still, it, I think it's something like number two or number three on the list. I haven't, number one was when I was in Lake Jackson, and we had a screen like this, but it was twice as long. And while I was preaching, halfway into the sermon, really, really getting into it, the screen came unhinged and came tumbling down. You just give up at that point. It's like, you know, Benny here wants to be saved, you know. Come now before the roof caves in on you. So, it's a bad time to have a tornado siren on Mother's Day, but um, if you're going to look for a better time, you're going to be hard-pressed because it seems like every day is a holiday, and there's a holiday for everything. Today's Mother's Day, but not all of our women are mothers, but that's okay because March 8th was International Women's Day, but you may have missed that. Some of our Women, they may not be mothers, but they may be sisters. And April 10th was Siblings Day. And I didn't even know that this existed until all of a sudden I go on Facebook and all of you are posting pictures of your brothers and sisters. But you may have missed that. Well, some of our moms are also grandmothers, and so September 11th is Grandparents Day. So there's a holiday for everything, and it seems like every day is a holiday of some sort. Mother's Day seems like a religious holiday, and it does to me because no matter, I can't go through Mother's Day without saying something in the sermon about it, and yet, Mother's Day is not a religious holiday. I hate to break that to you, but it's not. Now, it did have its origins in Christian faith, and it was a woman named Anna Jarvis in the early part of the 1900s who made it she was a Sunday school teacher, and she felt like it would be appropriate to honor motherhood and mothers, and so she made it her mission to create a, uh, a national holiday called Mother's Day, and so it was in 1914 that her mission was finally successful, and she got President Woodrow Wilson to declare in 1914 that, that Mother's Day would be a national holiday. And less than a decade later, Anna Jarvis was already disappointed by the commercialism attached to the holiday. It was as early as the 1920s, and Anna Jarvis, the founder of Mother's Day, said that she felt that the, the, the florists and the candy companies were spoiling the true meaning of the day. The greeting card companies, too. She said this, this is her writing, a printed card means nothing except that you're too lazy to write to the woman who has done more for you than anyone in the world. And candy, you take a box to your mother and then you eat most of it yourself. Well, that's a pretty sentiment. So Mother's Day is completely secular, and even Anna Jarvis recognized it. And look, if you, if you gave your mom a printed card today, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not here to make you feel bad about that. Anna Jarvis doesn't know that you did that, so don't worry about it. 
Uh, and if you got her some candy, hey, that might be what she wants, and she may even want you to eat it for her. I don't know. But Anna Jarvis isn't here. I say all that simply to say this, that even with our best holidays, we begin to recognize that all of a sudden the culture can grab hold of it and turn it into something that we never intended for it to be. As Christ followers, as his disciples, though, we can redeem every holiday that there is. We can take every, every single day, whether it's a holiday or not, whether we know it's a holiday or not, and we can redeem that day because that's our mission in this world. We are not in this world to preach down to the world or shame it for not being as reverent as we think we are. We're not here to point out that things ought to be religious when we think that they're secular. But we're here to live by a different story. We have the story of the gospel. And if we live by that story, then we show the world the wisdom of God's ways. So, for example, if you have a mother who follows Christ, take a mother who follows Christ, and as she lives out in her life the values of Christ, And in the way that she relates to her family and in the way that she raises her kids, if she teaches Christ's ways, then what she's doing is she's living out a different story than the story of a world and a culture that's consumed by consumerism. And she's showing the world a better way. If you have women who follow Christ and they live their lives free from the burdens and demands of a very confusing culture that can send women mixed messages, then you have women who show what it's like to live by the gospel story, to live by Christ's story, and it becomes a redemptive example for the rest of the world. There's a lot of discussion about women's roles in the church. As long as I've been in ministry, that's been the topic. And yes, that, that, that always needs to be discussed. But I want to shift it a little bit. What we don't think about often is women's role in the world. What about the role of mothers in the world? Now, we could ignore it and we could say, well, that's not our business. We're the church. That's the world. We know that the world has it wrong. Okay, maybe they do. But are we called to just ignore that? Are we called to preach hellfire and brimstone against it? Are we called to look down on the world and scold the world? Or are we called to live in this world and and recognize that people who live by those mixed messages are people that we love, people that God loves, and they're people who are in our lives one way or another. They're the mothers of the children that you work with in schools. They're 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 the women who take care of you when you go into the hospital. They're the the women that you work with in whatever business you're in, or they're your neighbors. And when women and mothers live by these mixed messages in the world, they get hurt. And when we unknowingly participate in that story, we contribute. We contribute to that hurt, and we contribute to that confusion. So no, I don't think we should ignore it. I think we need to understand it, and then we need to understand the better story and live that out and encourage others to live that out. Let me, let me try to explain what I'm saying here. 
Because I think you've noticed these mixed messages like I do. When we live in a culture that says we ought to respect women, but at the same time the culture says that it's okay and it's just entertainment to objectify women and to turn them into objects for sex, then I think we're sending mixed messages in this world. When we live in a culture that says that all women are valuable, but then it shames women when they gain weight or when they lose weight or when they show their age then I would say that we're living in a culture with mixed messages. When you live in a culture that says mothers are special, but then places unreasonable demands on mothers to be perfect and to get it right so that your kids will be okay and healthy and so that none of us will look down on you because we're going to shame you if you're not the best mother you can be. When we live in a culture that acts like that, then we're sending mixed messages and people get damaged by those messages people get hurt and people don't hear the gospel message when those messages are what is said over and over again i think that the church has an opportunity to simply say women ought to be respected women are valuable and women are special because they're made in the image of god period that's what we ought to say that if we could say that then and but not just say it but live it out because here's the challenge church it's, 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 it's a start to say something. But those messages that are out there in the culture, sometimes it's easy for us to pick those up. I mean, we live in the culture that took a good idea, like Anna Jarvis's vision for Mother's Day, and then we started to commercialize it. And then we started to turn it into something political. And then we started sending mixed messages along with it. Do you see the... the, the the tricky world and the tricky culture that we live in? You and I need to be very aware of this because I think that we should not ignore the confusion, not ignore the mixed messages about roles of women that are out there in the world. But we are charged to live our lives in such a way that we bring light into the darkness. Peter said to churches, live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They will see your good deeds and they'll glorify God when he visits us. The early Christian community understood this charge because they they very rarely had the sense that the culture in any way supported what they were doing. So they knew that by living for Christ, they had to live in a way that was exceptional. On the island of Crete in the first century, a little island stuck out there in the Mediterranean Sea, There's a missionary on Crete in the first century. His name is Titus. He's a student of Paul the Apostle. We get our book of the Bible, Titus, from the message that Paul sent to him, telling him how to reach people on that island who lived by a bad story. They had a story of mixed messages and confusion. And it was just the the story that they accepted as true. They thought that greed was great. They thought that greed was good. They thought that women had value, just monetary value. They thought that families were only good insofar as they serve the men. They thought that that life, even the life of children, only had value if it was important to the father or if it wasn't an inconvenience to the mother. They lived by this bad narrative. And you couldn't take it for granted That there were people there who understood God's vision for women created in his image and what he wanted every woman to live out. 
being created in his image. And so he writes to Titus, and he says, Titus, what I want you to do is, I want you to cultivate a culture of godliness within the Christian community. And I want you to cultivate a culture of mentoring. And he says, guide the older women into lives of reverence, so that they end up neither as gossips nor drunks, but models of goodness. By looking at them, then, the younger women will know how to love their husbands and children, and they'll be virtuous, and they'll be pure, and they'll keep a good house, and they'll be good wives, and we don't want anyone looking down on God's message because of their behavior. He's telling Titus to cultivate a different kind of culture that then shines out in a culture with a bad story. And when that happens, when we cultivate those stories of good behavior in the church, then we can overcome things like judgment and condemnation and scorn. You don't have to have one generation of women who says, this generation of younger women don't understand it. You don't have to have a generation of younger women who say, the generation of older women are out of touch. But instead, you cultivate a learning where they're learning the things that glorify and honor God. Not worrying about, because. let me ask you, when, those, when our generations do that, and they judge one another, or there's scorn, or there's even concern. I mean, none of us want to be judgmental or scorn, but sometimes we say there's concern, and that's our way of doing it. I'm just concerned. I'm just concerned about some of the younger ones. I'm just concerned about some of the older ones. When we do that and we have those concerns, are we borrowing values from God or are we borrowing the values from a mixed-up culture? And so we think that people of other generations or we think that others even in our own generation ought to act a particular way because of our sense of what the culture expects. Because that can happen. there's 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 an account of Jesus in Luke 10. And in Luke 10... Jesus goes to the home of a woman named Martha. Now, Martha is is obligated to show hospitality, and she's got the Lord coming to her house. I mean, you and I worry about, you know, showing up to worship and dressing properly and uh, giving our best. What if he's coming to your house? What do you do then? Well, Martha has brought out the best recipes. She's, bought a, she's got her recipe for award-winning pie, her, her, her mashed potatoes, all the stuff that's just, you know, that everybody brags about, and she's really working on it. She's got the best china. She's got the glassware that's just right. You've got to make the tea just so. If this isn't right, then, then everybody's going to talk about Martha, who had the Lord over to her house, and she served him on paper plates, and, and she doesn't want that. And so she's anxious. She's nervous about this, but at least she has her sister to help her. But she doesn't. And so at one point in the story, Martha has been about as passive-aggressive as she can be in the kitchen, banging plates, shoving stuff around. So finally she comes in and she says, Lord, aren't you concerned? Aren't you concerned that my sister's not helping me? And Jesus, who's triangled into this, says... Martha, and he doesn't scold her. He does not scold her. He says, you're worried and upset over all these details. Where are the details coming from? Where's Martha getting those details? Hospitality is a godly thing, Benjamin. That's why she's doing it. Hospitality is the sort of thing that's very important. Uh Uh-huh. 
But the one who tells us what the word is says those are just details. And he says, and, and, he, and, and you know, it would be wrong if Jesus said, Martha, you just don't get it. I wish you could be more like your sister. That'd be wrong. And that's not what he says. He says, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And by the way, when we have our concerns, maybe we ought to pay attention to Jesus who says, you know, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. And he says, now listen to what he says. He says, Mary's discovered it. He doesn't say, Mary's better than you. He doesn't say, Mary gets it and you don't. He says, hey, she found it. She found the thing that's worth worrying about. And he says, it will not be taken away from her. In some translations, he says, I'm not going to take that away from her. He's saying to Martha, I, I'm not going to get triangled into this and let you become, and let me become your mouthpiece to tell her to get in the kitchen and help you because that's the most important thing here. She's discovered what's important, and I'm not going to take it away from her. And Martha is perfectly invited to change her expectations about what is most important. Now, what if we could do that and cultivate a culture where the women of all generations, the women of all backgrounds, women who work, women who stay at home, uh, women who have kids, women who don't have kids, where we all are working together to cultivate that emphasis on what's most important. In other words, what I would love to encourage all of the women here to do is today and every day, as you talk to your sisters in Christ, but also as you talk to women in the world who don't know Christ yet, Because you can minister to them and evangelize them in ways a guy like me cannot. You have this opportunity, but you need to keep in mind there's only one thing worth being concerned about. There's only one thing worth focusing on. And if you'll do that, then you'll be like all of those women that we see examples of in Scripture. And by the way, have you noticed that there's a lot of different women in Scripture who live in different cultures at different times and they come from different backgrounds. God uses women who are very young. Some would say too young. He uses them to have children and, and, and he gives them children so that they, it can accomplish his purposes. And then he uses women who are old and some would say they're too old. Some of them would even say I'm too old. But he uses them to have children that accomplish his purposes. And then he, but, but he also uses women like Deborah And he gives her a spirit of leadership. And all of God's people are her children in a certain sense. And then he uses people like Esther, who's living in a very mixed-up culture. And she even has a place of high status in that culture. But he uses her in that position to save his people and to accomplish his plans to redeem the world. Do you see how God works and all that, all of those women that you read about, they have one thing in common, devotion to God. They are dedicated to God. It's not because they're living their lives according to certain standards in the culture that we all say that's the idea of womanhood or motherhood, but it's because they are dedicated to God and they're living out his ideas and his standards, his story. So let the women of God choose a better story the best story. And maybe along the way, you can help some of your sisters 
the ones who are of your generation, the ones who are younger, those that you'll meet, those who aren't even in the church yet, you'll, you'll help them overcome the burdens placed on them by a confused culture. And even by people who claim to be Christ's followers, but they are not speaking the gospel, but they're speaking the demands and the burdens of a confused culture. And so I, find, I want to end with a word to men. Yep. I want to say to you men, because, I mean, hey, we've got this great Mother's Day sermon. We've said something to women. What about us? Well, I would say to us, we're partners in this. We participate in this. And so what I want to encourage us to do is pay attention to the women in your life. Because if you read these stories in Scripture, God can and does use the example of these women to teach us. In 1 Peter 3, Peter encourages women who live with ungodly husbands to instruct them through example. Now that would be true. If your husband is, you know, if your husband doesn't know Christ yet, then live your life in such a way as, as Peter says, it'll win them over without words by their behavior because they'll see the purity and reverence in your lives. But even those of you who are married to men who are striving to be godly, we still need you to live your lives in such a way that it teaches us so that we'll see the purity and reverence in your life. So I say to the men on Mother's Day and every day, we can do much more than just give them gifts and try to repay them. And let's do away with all those passive-aggressive jokes and all those little funny jokes about, you know, well, i got to give her something once a year because she has to put up with me all year long. Oh, really? Well, why don't you just get better? And let me say also to the women, you know what? Don't participate in those jokes either. Oh, well, my husband does something right every once in a while. Well, why don't you help him do something right all the time? And maybe you need to change your attitude. I'm just saying. See, we don't have to live by those stories in the culture that teach us to act that way. Instead, we can live such a way in the culture that what we do is we see each other as partners in this Christian mission that we're in, and we're constantly trying to build each other up. And that means that we're trying to make each other live out lives the best we can. Men, we're doing that with our wives, and we're doing that with our sisters in Christ. Women, you're doing that with your husbands, and you're doing that for your brothers in Christ. And all of us are working together because we've got this great vision of where all of this is going. And when we live by that story, we will overcome these mixed messages of the world. We can do much better because we have a much better story. And what I want to encourage you to do today is own that story. That story can be your story. Take a step into it. So if there's anybody here who needs prayer this morning, if there's anybody who wants to take that first step into the life of Christ, then I ask that you'd let us know. We're going to stand, we're going to sing that song. It's going to be a time to encourage one another. Let's do that now.